So you're moving to the big smoke. That's right. Yeah, moving to East Croydon, um, which I mean, Croydon has been sort of in my dreams since I was about fifteen, and I first encountered the Magic Peep Show. And since I was fifteen, I had I had this vague fantasy of trying to realise my own IRL Peep Show. Um, although I would not be doing it with a with a strange fellow male, I'll be doing it with a with a girlfriend. So, so you're I'm, Mark. You're Mark, the homeowner. I'm. I, I think that I'm almost certainly the Mark in my relationship. Uh, unfortunately, this will not be a a homeownership situation. It will be an extremely uh overpricey one bed and Croydon tenancy situation. Um, but Jez is a lot yeah. more psychedelic than Mark. You're into psychedelics, aren't you? Not particularly anymore. I mean, I haven't taken them for two years and I don't really take any drugs anymore. Although my girlfriend will be, actually as of next Tuesday, involved in an imperial psilocybin trial for fibromyalgia. So she's rapidly becoming the jazz. Oh, wow. So she's sort of just hanging around the apartment taking drugs, albeit (laughs) to to cure her treatment-resistant condition. Although I guess guess Jez would probably be saying that, wouldn't he? If you like... Talking about this like obscure something to do with his mojo or his creative talents, and that they needed to be fostered in in such a particular way. Yes, yes, yes. Well, actually, as part of the trial conditions, she's had to slow down her intake of medicinal and also a bit recreational marijuana. Um, but yeah, so she's been relatively drug free over the last week. But as of next Tuesday, she could be. Big administered as much as twenty five milligrams of pure psilocybin. So she'll How many be grams a, is that? I think equivalent. That's five or six grams. So she'll be on a complete rocket ship. Gosh, and and so yeah, well, yeah. I've never met her. She has fibromyalgia. Yes, that's right. Yeah, yeah. Badly, because yeah, pretty bad. Um, yeah, it's uh, it produces a lot of chronic pain symptoms, and yeah. uh, it also has cognitive symptoms like. Uh, brain fog and the i think there was also a, a, a trial that just launched this week at the university of michigan of psilocybin assisted therapy for fibromyalgia and the suggestion is that because fibromyalgia is so often born about through traumatic backgrounds it's one of these conditions that really sort of treads the boundary of the mind and the body um that psilocybin could have a restorative effect in that way but, but also just the active more physiological effect of promoting neurogenesis well i'm not really an expert on the neuroscience of it but it could actually have an actively physically restorative effect you know and i've heard the psilocybin's helpful for chronic pain and various physical ailments beyond mental health ones all right well yeah all jokes aside really 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 hope that yeah the the mushrooms and and anything else can yeah help ease her symptoms yeah 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 hopeful exciting I and mean, she she was pretty surprised to be on it as was i because i had I'd assumed that these psilocybin trails were basically impossible to get on because they attract so many applications but then a couple of calls a couple of zooms later she, you know she's on it which well, is, which is... I, I just i just did like a viewing for a house and they, they've got another like five or six people coming to view and then they're gonna yeah. make the decision you know i said yeah. yes so you know I, I guess it's like a it's basically a personality and compatibility contest but i wonder Mm. like in her case what the criterion to get onto the trial yeah 
that's actually an interesting point is that obviously therapeutic rapport is a important part of any therapy especially when you're hypersensitive on psychedelics so i do wonder whether part of the screening procedure is just you know is this person all right do they seem affable because especially it's just pragmatically because the therapist has got to look after you for eight hours if you're a massive knob and they don't want to give they don't, they don't want to be around you tripping oh yeah did you see that channel four thing where they gave like john snow three, no the, <laughs> though the three pairs of people that were kind of in in intractably opposed views on various subjects and they they got no, no. for like an hour or two then they gave them loads of mushrooms one of the guys took 10 grams and then they got them to talk talk again between each other afterwards to see if they could find any more common ground. Oh my god! Um, what happened? Well, yeah, the v the guy the vegan guy and the ultra carnival guy did yeah. seem to be more friendly with each other afterwards. The carnival guy is the one that took ten grams. <laughs> that does seem like a carnival guy thing to do. Ten grams, Jesus Christ! Yeah, that's insane. Yeah, I think that was the maximum that they would countenance giving. And he seemed fine. He seemed, you know, must have had a pretty powerful experience. He was like, came out, he was like, Pfft. but yeah, I mean, people do more. People do more. This Dave Hodges. That's insane. And his his Ambrosia Church in San Francisco are doing some really high dose work. Mm. The highest psilocybin dose I've ever done was... Uh one and a quarter grams in a chocolate bar at the peak of which I did have a few puffs of weed and I was so fucking sent. I can't even imagine what 10 grams is like. Yeah, that was a lot. And then I did half a box of, uh, I think the weakest truffles in Amsterdam. And I was Hmm. on another fucking planet. Oh, wow. Yeah. So I've, I've always been too scared to, to do high doses of psychedelics you know don't even go don't go there you're quite sensitive and obviously you've been campaigning for greater awareness around this condition hppd that's right persistent perceptive disorder i think the p's are the other way around hallucinogen persisting perception disorder there you are rolls off the tongue what so what what happened there so I was um, 17 and I had taken a few a few doses of one PLSD, um, which you could buy very easily online in 2015. This is uh, prior to the passage of the Psychoactive Substances Act. And you could buy all sorts of research chemicals for, for research purposes. So I bought myself some one PLSD, had, had it delivered to a post office, uh, although amusingly enough, they... I was under some kind of misapprehension that you could just order your post to a post office and they wouldn't open it. And that was just fine because I didn't want my parents seeing a letter containing tabs of drugs. So I uh, ordered it to this post office and I went in and I was like, oh, hello, I'm here to pick up a letter. And they're like, and the bloke was like, we haven't got a letter. Oh yeah, there was something that arrived earlier, actually. He had opened it and he was just holding the billing info with the baggie of tabs in it and said, look, mate, I don't want anything to do with this but just don't do it again. And then gave it to this boy, this clean shaven 17 year old boy. <laughs> then, uh, so I'd had three trips um, of extremely <laughs> variant 
quality both between the trips and within the trips sometimes you know i i wasn't even that i wasn't that big a fan of tripping to be honest because it was just so incredibly chaotic and stressful but i had some moments that were blissful and also i was quite excited by my new hippie tripster persona that i was amassing at school so i um decided oh, you, to... you had a reputation did you 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 graduated from sniffing poppers on 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 the playground. <laughs> I'd actually I had never taken any drugs apart from drinking, and then just went straight to acid. And I I had I'd been a a nerd for several years. Angry nerd was my reputation. And then so when psychedelics came along, and this was my poss- this was my chance to 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 you know to become some kind of guru figure, you know, some kind of wise explorer of the mind. That was my new <laughs> identity. And uh, so the week after I'd had a very intense trip on 200 micrograms of this one PLSD, I decided to uh, introduce the drug to two friends of mine. And uh, so next weekend rolls along, I make my excuses and my parents aren't at the house. And uh, I take two tabs, have a fairly difficult trip, a lot of intensity. And then... uh, get caught by my parents the following day, which is unfortunate. And then just over the next few days began noticing fairly strange, aberrant visual phenomena on the carpets, on the walls, um, just in my general field of vision, looking at the sky, looking at the driveway, looking at the pavement, just seeing like these sparkles, walls are moving, seeing geometric patterns, seeing rainbows and stuff, seeing wallpaper breathing seeing things getting bigger and smaller it was like the it was like i was looking through the through the world at the other end of a telescope sometimes there would be these big auras around people after images so i'd look at something and look away and there'll be a, a sort of neon colored uh blackened uh sort of or filled in replication of the object when i looked away um and eventually I just looked up probably something like uh, visuals after acid trip. And I came across the Wikipedia page for hallucinogen persisting perception disorder. And I remember it quite vividly. I was just in, in my bed just, and I'd probably been seeing some weird shit. Finally made the decision to look it up. And then I saw, yeah, this is H3PD. I mean, it, it fit absolutely perfectly. And then just these visuals just didn't really necessarily go away. Um, I think that they're still somewhat present a bit today, but they don't bother me anymore. Um, but yeah. for a time, it, but for for quite a few years, it was fairly intense, full on. Um, it was very strange to be still a schoolboy, <laughs> basically in this like living psychedelic dream world of a kind. And I, I remember, I remember having some action, like quite you know, not insignificant anxiety about whether or not I'd be able to do my history A-level. Because history A-level, your paper, you have to, you know, you've got to do a lot of reading, intense adrenaline-fueled reading in the paper, you know, looking at sources, constructing an essay out of thin air. And I was concerned that the text would be moving on my paper. Um, It would be like moving around, because I'd had that a bit of text, like, melting and shit, like, as if I was on psychedelics. But thankfully some defences kicked in and I was able to do my history A-level just fine. Were the other but... A-levels more arty? <laughs> no, I did uh, biology, history, economics. Uh, 
none of which were particularly arty. Uh, a lot of it just being rote learning and stuff. Um, but at uni, that's where the maybe some pedagogical barriers began to emerge from the HGPD, mainly because of just distraction. Because I'd be in a, in a seminar and uh, rather than joining in, I would spend my time just sort of looking at, just looking around the room and noticing like auras and halos around people's heads or looking at the lights and then noticing these after image. I was just basically just tripping out in seminars or in lectures. It'd be difficult to concentrate when my entire field of vision would be like tunneling. There would be like, it would, it would all be restricted. Almost like, almost like the, the intro to a James Bond film, like around this small tunnel on the lecturer at the at, on on the lectern and then otherwise it would just be like fuzz kaleidoscopes melting and um yeah it was it was pretty weird and this wow. is hppd incredible yeah. incredible i mean did it so did it fade over time and did did you attempt to undo any of this with more psychedelic use um it, it did fade over time i think that the, the the most pronounced fading has occurred since um maybe November last year when I decided to basically just completely give up cannabis. Um, I think cannabis, occasional cannabis smoking was keeping the condition sort of alive neuronally and just giving it up was very helpful. Um, I, I still take, I still took psychedelics, but I wasn't, and I was in no way intending for it to, to be like a treatment for HPPD. I just I I took psychedelics because I was wanted to take them again, and I remember after having put that tab on my tongue for the first time since developing HPPD. About this is maybe eighteen months afterwards. I was I did have a moment of like fuck you know this is it like because because some people can take psychedelics and it can make their HPPD much worse. So I knew that this was probably incredibly stupid. But, you know, my curiosity was at, and, and my teenage foolhardiness were at such a point where I was like, you know, fuck it. <laughs> then... well, I guess I, it was two tabs, though, that triggered, triggered the HPPD. Yeah, you, yeah you it was two one tabs. On the, on the second occasion or the subsequent. Um, yes, on the subsequent occasion. But then I would take, but then I took loads of psychedelics in my second year of uni. I, I, I was just taking them all the time. And um, it's, it's almost like a frog in the frog in the pan of hot water you don't necessarily notice day to day how the hgpd might be getting worse but i think that is what was happening because i would just just i have quite vivid memories of just sort of lying in bed and then just spending just whiling away quite a bit of time just basically tripping sober at, on the blinds and the walls and and the, the shit in the lectures really got ramped up when i was taking psychedelics regularly but the the, the but the biggest psychological consequence of my frequent tripping in my second year of uni was as as well as just like all the all the normal typical side effects of frequent psychedelic use that some people might experience like being emotionally unstable or um prone to flights of fancy and losses of productivity loss of focus uh also that it it, it laid the sort of seedbed for me to develop a, a, another disorder that's very connected to HPPD that many people have as a comorbidity, a dissociative disorder called depersonalization, derealization, which kicked in when I was 21. And in many ways, that's been much more unpleasant 
much more psychologically disturbing than HGPD. Because some people, maybe they're blessed by temperament or blessed by not having intrinsically negative associations with psychedelic visuals as to kind of roll with HGPD, you know, are just neutral or, you know, sometimes it's unpleasant, sometimes it's annoying, sometimes it's 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 actually pleasant, it's actually pleasurable. But the derealization was very unpleasant um, and very damaging. And that's and it's that and it's the derealization that is the main reason why I've completely given up psychedelics. Gosh, yeah, I didn't know about the derealization stuff. How does that manifest? And yeah, what uni were you at? There was certainly not many psychedelics flying around my university, alas. Uh, I was at the University of Warwick. Um, and I think that I was probably one of the very few people there that was taking psychedelics. There wasn't much drug taking at Warwick in general, I think. It was mainly a finishing school for 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 young for bright young things that wanted to go into the civil service or mainly management consultancy and investment banking or private equity. <laughs> And then there was just me who maybe had vague ideas of maybe just moving to the countryside or becoming a Buddhist monk, maybe. These are some of the ideas I was developing through my frequent acid taking. Um, and derealization is, um, th th this is a, a clinical term that describes a broad set of feelings usually associated with some degree of panic and anxiety and fear the world seems dreamlike uh, or unreal hence derealization like it just stops feeling real it's difficult to articulate um i think maybe it's a feeling that people can tap into that that maybe people can have periodically anyway you know there's moments when you're on the tube or something and you're tired and it's after a long working day and you're confronted with the fucking loud piercing noise of the tube train on the track and you look around in this weird environment of just fairly sort of forlorn <laughs> work beaten faces. And you think, God, what is this dream we're all in? This dreamy feeling. But then derealization, insofar as you can sort of draw a line is when it starts happening all the time. It's like actually in some ways you're default and it's incredibly distressing. Like There, there were points last summer, I mean, because this is years I've lived with it. Last summer, I couldn't, every time I left the house, uh, it would be as if I was just in a dream. Um, having relatively frequent, just full-on anxiety and panic attacks because the world felt so unreal and it was so stressful. You know, I look over my girlfriend. Oh, she's not actually, she didn't feel real. Dad didn't feel real. Nothing felt real. Um, and, but it seems to have waned since i just gave up smoking weed i think that is the that's the big well, that's the big one yeah i mean weed smoking generally doesn't make me feel good man i i, I don't like weed. i pretty much quit that shit a long time ago occasionally now i have a few tokes I had a few tokes on sunday i'd had a little bit of acid and shrooms so i thought i thought it'd be okay and it was at the time but then when i got when i went to bed my, like my mind was just so busy for like 15 20 minutes yeah not in such yeah. a distressing way, but it's just like, well, I would have been totally calm had I not had yeah. I not smoked that weed. Yes. Yeah. Weed is a... You know, some people are just... A lot of people find it gives them anxiety, obviously, but I think some people like me, it honestly just makes them 
crazy. I don't mean in the sense of like actually getting psychosis and schizophrenia. That's thankfully not happened to me. I just, it just makes me so anxious that I just can't touch it. Yeah, it makes me think about that headline of the BBC piece you did about the worldview shifting drugs poised to go mainstream. I mean, a bit of an understatement now with what you're saying about what happens to you with psychedelics, a bit more than worldview shifting. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Uh, Publishing that piece was actually, um, sort of a catalyst for myself to want to go a bit more public with with talking about my experiences with some of these psychological complications because uh you know that that piece i mean i have no doubt with the amount of reach that the bbc has might have tipped some people into huh you know this is on the bbc i might as well give this a go and i'm not saying that's yeah. necessarily hey, bad. i've got a pretty shit world view at the moment may as well shift it uh <laughs> yeah. have you got that head guy speed dyer here he's got some experimental lsd <laughs> yeah um but i just thought you know i come from surrey you know my my dad is a businessman i i would be fine or at least more fine than other people if my career took a real hit or if my reputation took a real hit from talking about having a relatively stigmatized drug-related condition and i'd read that Cole hart book drug use for grown-ups one of whose sort of prescriptions for society is that privileged people need to come forward about the full extent of their drug use because the media depictions mostly full in Hart's argument on underprivileged, poor, ethnic minority people, especially in discussion of the risks of drugs. Um, and so, yeah, I, I began posting on Twitter a lot about it. Although I don't use Twitter anymore. But again, posting a lot on Twitter about it. I began working with a non-profit called the Perception Restoration Foundation, which is launched by two people, all HPPD, to try to raise awareness. Um Wrote, wrote 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 quite a lot of pieces appeared on a lot of podcasts and then eventually started a master's degree which culminated in, in doing research on hvpd um and i have a commission with the same bbc publication bbc future to write about hvpd two years later so it's kind of gone full circle actually almost to, to the month because it was in september 2021 that i published that piece and also it was that month that i quit my job at a podcast company and began working for the HVPD nonprofit. Great. You've truly found your niche. You've you've had to struggle to get there. I mean, other people kind of just come across topics of interest, or maybe they did a specialization at university, or maybe their dad, you know, was, I don't know, a telescope expert, so they know a lot about telescopes. But yeah, you've really lived it. Yeah, yeah, I have really lived it. Yeah. Um and that has costs as well as benefits. But I don't do so much advocacy. I don't work for the foundation anymore, for instance. I had to stop working for them and because it was just getting a too much, you know, too much HVPD because it was working for the charity and doing a master's degree where I was doing research on HVPD. And it was it, it was triggering my HVPD. It was making it worse because I was just talking about it all the time, thinking about it all the time. Whereas now I'm I now I no longer work for the foundation, but I'm still appearing on podcasts, still writing pieces. And I hope to have my master's thesis published in a journal. So I'm still still working at it. But at this, but also there's there can be a risk of, um, oh, since I lived it, I I know I know what HVPD is about. Whereas there is a huge amount of variability in the condition. And um, well, there's a phrase I like called being an expert by experience. But also your experience can bias you. Um, so I'm always trying to 
be conscientious about the fact that my conclusions um, and my experiences are not always going to be typical. Well, yeah, just let me know if my face explodes into fractals and we'll take a coffee break or come back and talk about sports. I will do. Yeah, yeah. Well, thankfully, I mean, two or three years ago, that wouldn't have been that inconceivable. And I'm not sure even then I had the ability, I had the sufficient subject knowledge of any sport to, to divert us. But it's retreated now, so we're all good. But still no particular knowledge of any sport uh i used to play rugby so i i I know the positions i know how it works but i I know a couple of teams but i mean i didn't even find out until i went on the underground the other day that the rugby world cup is this year i mean did you know that i didn't know that but i was a second row well and and really occasionally just at school and yeah that that could certainly cause some sort of perception um disorder i mean yeah. I, think, I think across all sports people are realizing it now with the head injury stuff yes. even in yes. football yes yeah i was um i was a hooker and, and a prop forward it's a switch and also a number eight and a flanker I went, I went all around and a scrum half just so many um but yeah i, I have actually thought about that because i did have a couple of occasions when i just really biff my head like anything, I think HCPD is, is a perfect storm of drugs, the experience, the set and setting, what type of drug it was, how you what what was happening in the days after the experience whilst you were still sensitive. But also I wouldn't be surprised if there were more long-term neurodevelopmental drivers like two big biffs on the head as a teenager. I mean, that, that might have played a role somewhere. Yeah. I mean, this is partly why David Nutt was saying that just taking ecstasy is... And doing nothing is safer than going on horses. Yeah, <laughs> but but can you get can you get this HPPD from um, pills, MDMA, cocaine, or or is it more just psychedelics people get it from? Uh, people can get it from MDMA. Yeah, MDMA is actually quite a common cause. It it, it seems to, um, well, HPPD seems to have a lot to do with the. Serotonin, the serotonin system so people who just take SSRIs can trigger perceptual disorders very similar to HVPD oh, wow. um, and you do encounter also stories of people taking stimulants um, well, in my master's research I had people that in whose drug histories or and especially in, in their descriptions of the precipitating drug experiences that cocaine was part of the mix but there were a couple where it was just a stimulant. I mean, one guy got it from prescription amphetamines, I believe for ADHD. Um, and then a lot of people actually get it from dissociatives, DXM, um, Benadryl, that's more of a delirium, isn't it? So, But uh, ketamine as well. Um, but do you think there's some sort one? of underlying condition that people share that, that maybe is undiscovered? I'm not entirely sure, um, but I think that what's what, something that I've argued for is that is that there, there needs to be a discussion about the continued utility of of the HEPD diagnosis because you know well, a, a there's a confusion with with all psychiatric diagnoses because they say oh the, their depression caused them to do X Y Z as if depression more than just a descriptor and a label for a set of symptoms is actually a cause in itself it's a sufficient explanation as well as, as, a, as well as a description 
And the same problem arises with HTPD is, you know, is, is, is HTPD, is it, is it just a, a term for a, a broad set of symptoms or does it meaningfully capture a common sort of disease process, so to speak, if we're going to use this medical model. Um, but well, A, um, it's not just hallucinogens, as I've said, that can trigger HGPD-like symptoms. In the DSM-5 or the Diagnostic and Statistical Manuals, um, the Psychiatrist Bible's description of HGPD, it talks about how HGPD is defined by re-experiencing of the visions people experienced when they were on hallucinogen but people can have all sorts of visual symptoms they're actually new that came about after the psychic after typically the psychedelics um so for instance so for instance visual snow is a very very common symptom of hgpd which is uh like an overlay of static sort of grayish particles in the field of vision and um and it seems that visual snow in particular is one of these symptoms that comes about com- it, it, um, distinct from the trip you know this isn't a re-experiencing and so it seems that people can have um, perceptual disorders from all sorts of things people can have perceptual symptoms after head injuries uh, they can have them as part of PTSD as uh, part of anxiety disorders people can have intensified perceptual sort of symptoms and so it seems that HGPD might not be particularly helpful often as a diagnosis and what's more helpful perhaps is just considering that there are that there's a broad spectrum of perceptual disorders that have many causes drugs can cause such perceptual disorders really really just focusing on the symptoms themselves rather than necessarily you know which drug class to do with them but with all that i think that's i think that's something that's really an issue across the board within the, the western allopathic model that we have that doesn't really look at things in terms of a holistic understanding i'm not saying that there's not any benefit to allopathic prescriptive very narrow medicine but clearly there's benefits to the holistic system too yes no i think i think you're absolutely right um if only because the medical model, as imperfect as, as it is for other psychiatric diagnoses, is also very imperfect for HPPD. Many people can have these symptoms and not really construe of them as symptoms of a disease process at all because they don't actually find them distressing. Many people find these these visual experiences uh, either entirely neutral or it's often pleasant. I mean, I, I've I've generally encountered people <laughs> yeah, that... free free tripping. Essentially, never, never, yeah. never had to go see a dealer ever again. <laughs> but I mean, people, people do. I mean, that is a very human thing as well, like normalizing yeah. your experience. You yeah. see people with gastro issues, like burping or heartburn or whatever. Never see a doctor, and probably don't even take any medication. Sometimes, just like, oh, it's just this thing I have. Yeah, yeah, if that, exactly. If, if at all, oh, oh, like, oh, oh, you say to the person, no, what, what's that? Wait, what? Nothing. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. Um, but on the other end of the spectrum, we have people that commit suicide because of HVPD. Um, and so I always feel a bit, I always feel some resistance to acknowledging that people can actually really enjoy their HVPD, uh, or even find it like life enhancing. Like I've seen people that say like, I 
uh, it's it's aesthetic it's spiritual i can look out at the clouds and it turns to art before my eyes wow um which is i mean i you know all power to them but, but on the other hand you have people that are unable to work because of the intensity of their visual symptoms um it's it's destroyed them or the visuals are they're probably part of a broader psychological process you know cause and effect that has led them to become mentally destroyed um and then that's when it's really worth talking about it perhaps in terms of you know an actual disorder of hgpd but but the point is that there's a huge variability in people's emotional psychological behavioral responses to these symptoms so just treating them as symptoms um just treating HGPD as, as a purely biomedical phenomenon isn't going to work. I mean, there's 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 psychological and there's social and there's cultural factors that can influence people's perception of these symptoms. So for a long time, whilst I even whilst I was able to normalize and sort of adjust to these symptoms, I, I still in my head thought that I was a drugs casualty in some sense. I thought I, I would I I identified with the story of Sid Barrett from Pink Floyd and Brian Wilson from the Beach Boys in in in, in thinking I was an acid casualty, you know when when especially since I I couldn't I didn't feel I could tell anyone at uni I didn't I mean I didn't tell my family for five years, um because it's just intrinsically not going to go down well you know telling telling your parents oh I actually you know that acid trip I took like you know, a number of years ago. Well, you know, I actually still get visual effects from it. You know, as, as much and as much as you can explain or over-explain, no, no, I'm fine, I'm fine. You know, uni's going well. It's freaky. It's freaky to tell people that. And, um, but I've been pleasantly surprised by, among my friends at least, how un, how non-judgmental they've been. And I had to That's make good. it a policy. Yeah, I had, to, I had to make it a policy when I was meeting new people after a certain point. I'll tell them relatively soon because I just didn't want to, didn't want to hold on to it for too long um but uh, yeah sort of in in conclusion on that point it's that hgpd is affected by our society our society's attitude to drugs you know you have a stigmatized drug-induced condition and that causes isolation it causes anxiety self-blame feelings of shame and that's part of it becoming a disorder it's part of it becoming a life-destroying phenomenon and it's like Wait, dude, you're not living the same rational materialist hell hellscape we are. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's um, dude, dude, yeah. quick, come have like five cups of shitty coffee and loads of sugary snacks and fried potatoes. Quick, come over here, it's shit. <laughs> yeah, it's um, it's funny because my HGPD would often be intensified in those hyper materialist professional environments like i mentioned the tube earlier because that was always a very strange place to have hgpd and derealization but also just uh the office i worked i worked for a corporate pr firm after i graduated from uni and just quite often i, I would be sort of immersed in preparing some like presentation for clients summarizing how many linkedin hits they'd had that month and then i would look away from my computer screen and i would just see this just absolute cacophony of psychedelic visuals it was almost <laughs> like a comp it was almost like a compensation mechanism for their like sheer constructed normality of this actually quite bizarre thing i was doing on my computer 
And, you know, I'd go off to the bathroom and I'd have some time to myself away from the pressure and the weirdness of an office situation. And I'll just be like tripping complete balls in the bathroom store, <laughs> like flashes of purple and green and all sorts of weird watercolor sort of shit. Um, meetings with your, with your trousers like... down or up. Oh, this would this would be I think this this would be both, both, both and all, all and any. Uh it was actually, I talked about it in, in in an article I did last month for Filter magazine that I had a, a massive HGPD episode during my job interview for that job. Um one of the most intense HGPD experiences in my life, actually. Like I was as I said in the piece, I was almost I almost physically flung back into my chair by how intense the visuals were on my boss's head. I was having a tunnel vision effect and lightning bolts around her head. Flashes of purple, uh, wallpaper melting. Um, it went HD as fuck. Uh, and also her head went very small. Um, like I was looking through a, the other end of a telescope. And But somehow through my private school trained blagging ability. <laughs> and uh, oh, this is why all you fuckers run the country, isn't it? essentially yeah I mean, just with every sort of rs and history debate you did you know there's debates in class we had to do it you had to do your public speaking i just that, that's where i learned that's where i learned the basic blacking of interview of inter not not this interview though not this interview uh job interviews um i managed to get the job um congratulations you must have not had such a skilled interrogator opposite you I've I saw a way through you long ago. <laughs> well, eventually they 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 would see through me uh, when they saw my just genuine incompetence and PR, uh, and basic lack of enthusiasm, and I left the job in somewhat conflictual and tense circumstances about five months later. Well, I mean, if you're trying to look at LinkedIn and you've got sort of Incan priestesses blowing dmt vapor in your face i know i know which one i choose have you ever experienced anything like a psychedelic flashback anything like a hdpd i smoked bufo once in yeah. 2019 and yeah wouldn't do it in that fashion again we went to north london to barnet and did it in a guy's back garden with the guy oh who God. was like seemed relatively trained but yeah, looking back now, really was quite reckless, and I had those concerns at the time. To be fair, but it was a pretty, it was a pretty amazing journey, nonetheless, for for me at least. And then yeah, like three weeks later, I had I was on a dance floor, and I I, I had taken some acid, and just had a massive reactivation. And it was oh my it was, god, it was it was yeah, literally like I was back in the trip. Luckily, my ex girlfriend was was there with me. So I just hugged her, basically, for about 10, 15 minutes. Fuck, were you scared? No, I was all right, actually. It, it was like, whoa. Yeah. It, yeah. It was, yeah, it was quite nice. But, I mean, if I hadn't, if I, you know, if I hadn't been in a very lovely place with a lovely person and also, like, my friends and my brother around us as well, maybe I would have felt different. Like, yeah, obviously, if I was, like, in a wet, wet forest with loads of creepy crawlies going around and i was by myself 
maybe yeah quite likely wouldn't have felt so so good well, and to, to you does do reactivations have a spiritual quality or is your interpretation more physical neurological i've never really thought about it i mean first thing that comes to my mind is that yeah maybe it is um reasserting some of the lessons and the meaning and reflecting my intentions or mm. or my lack of discipline in maintaining them yeah man it's interesting but the five meo dmc seems to be the one that's just so associated with these reactivations like yeah yeah i don't know i wonder why i mean i'm sure that i'm sure that on some level there's a neurochemical explanation there's a theory that and this is all part of the whole we are spiritual beings having human experience piece that 5-MeO is the only psychedelic that's endogenous to the body. So it's created mm. within and exists within the body. And the amount of 5-MeO that might be in our system at any one time that can be uh, manipulated or affected by external factors and indeed internal factors affects our perception. I did a darkness retreat and that's supposed, according to Mantak Chia, to to bring up a lot of five meo, and it did definitely feel like I was tripping. Oh my god! I think you might have mentioned that. I have a vague recollection of hearing from you about that. Or was it? Or was it? Or did he write an article on it? Yeah, I, I wrote. I wrote a piece for Vice. And you're in darkness for how long? Five days, five nights. Oh my god, that's insane. <laughs> did you feel? Did you feel restored and revitalized by it? For the first day or two, the melatonin just hits you, the sleep chemical. Mm. So actually, like my joints were really creaky. I don't mm. know if that was like, yeah, I guess it just shut them down. And I didn't have enough energy until like the fourth or fifth day to really actually do any exercise. So yeah, on a kind of physical level, I was a bit groggy on a kind of mental or emotional level yeah it was seriously revitalizing but i had to go through quite a process mm. <laughs> god what were you doing during it just meditating and contemplating pretty much yeah just sitting around lying around having showers in the dark in the dark yeah how do you find yeah, the time? i probably had like three a day Three showers a day, man. Wow, I, I well, that, that's kind of appealing. But then, um, I'm, I'm a bit scared of uh, things like that because of um, even things like a silent meditation retreat. I don't really want to try it because I've heard people can have really bad psychological reactions to those retreats. And you must have read stories about people getting psychotic breaks and shit, and especially dissociative episodes. After my derealization first kicked in, I was gonna do a silent meditation retreat in India. And on the application form, it actually did ask, do you have any experience of using hallucinogenic drugs, e.g. LSD? And if you put yes, you'd be instantly screened out. And I lied and said, no, I, I, I have ne no, never done that. Um, oh, no, never, never, never touched LSD. I mean, this piece of paper just ran away from me, came back as a mouse. <laughs> but um, yeah, no, never. <laughs> um, but then... Uh, 
yeah, as the derealization really started taking off, I just I just knew it was it was, it was a bad idea. You know, in complete silence in the middle of nowhere in India by myself. It's not it wouldn't be a great vibe. I mean, I think it's just just as true, like the idea about breaking open the head with psychedelics and yeah, having to be in a decent enough state to put the pieces back together again. Yeah. I think the same can be said of, you know, deep meditation. I think, you know, I would hazard a guess that pretty much everyone can or could do and benefit from like a 10, 15 minute meditation every day. Yeah. Maybe, you know, maybe even a couple of times at different intervals. But yeah, yeah you know, a three day, five, 10, 10 day retreat in which you can't even maybe do yoga and you've just got to sit down next to a bunch of other people who may sadly have you know traumas yeah yeah obviously obviously, yeah that could be really really um yeah disruptive for for certain people but i I think on the on the whole in in my experience meditation does seem to certainly help people Mm. there's that fascinating willoughby britain and jared lindall paper which was about the varieties of meditative experience um and that and, and that, that's the paper where they really start cataloging grouping together what the kinds of adverse reactions people can have from heavy meditation and it is it's very striking i mean some perceptual features with with overlap with hvpd or it kind of sounds like hvpd episodes some of the perceptual experiences people people can have when they meditate a lot but also things like uh i remember reading a story about a woman who was unable to get into her car because her sense of self was now so porous and so dissolved that she couldn't physically move her body or contort it sufficiently to open the door and sit on the car seat wow because she was yeah it's insane yeah i think it's definitely a thing it's definitely a thing and these kundalini awakenings people have also really destabilizing I mean, to some extent, I I would say that it's about then having to go back to an awful society and not just be able to meander around a meadow with the rest of your polycule in the middle of nowhere <laughs> in France. But yeah, nonetheless, totally, totally hear you. Oh, that's funny. It seems that a lot of these retreats are in France, isn't it? Yeah, there's there's one there's one that. I did I did a three day retreat, silent meditation retreat in Mexico, but they've they've got their kind of mother branch in France. Yeah, Hiradaya. It's about it's like a self inquiry meditation based on the teachings of Ramana Maharishi, like a Who am I? Yeah, kind of repeat, repeat. Yes. Who am I? Who am I? Interesting. Yeah. Who are you? Yeah. Who am I? Well, I assume the answer Rahat Ramana Maharshi wants me to give is pure consciousness. So I'll say that. Yeah, I was asked it the other day. And at first I was like, well, I am Godhead. But that is just the kind of stock response, isn't it? I mean, or I am, I am he. I am uh, that. Yeah, yeah. I, am, I, am, I am that that breathes, that sees, that feels. Although that, that's also, you know, we're, we're remaining kind of in the physical plane there. Mm-hmm. who am i i guess i i just relate it to my own journey i i shared a bit about how i feel and 
what what my intentions are and what my insecurities are and yeah we kind of went from there really that's a good strategy yeah good approach but i guess you've already shared so much about yourself during during our chat people probably know who you are yeah people 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 will know people know my most uh well there are some lower moments around derealization that, that people haven't heard yet uh if, if people if you and if you and the audience should have the inclination to hear them um yeah derealization is um an incredibly difficult thing to experience long term especially once i long after i decided i didn't want to do psychedelics anymore to continue to have the the visual sense and derealization it was that that's when these feelings of like repressed feelings of regret started exploding in around april this year actually because that's that was when the derealization had, had again sort of reaching a, a kind of crescendo and i was like fuck you know what the hell have i done <laughs> yeah. there's only so much you can actually do with the the energy of of regret so i i let it out and then yeah i feel all right about it now yeah regret yeah. is the shittest thing ever i i feel like i've almost transcended regret and this whole like shoulda coulda woulda because there's plenty plenty of things in my life you know that i had this whole whole thing with right but now it's just like look i'm really really grateful we're sat here having having this interesting funny conversation that's kind of capping off a, a year or two of being in touch great mm. wouldn't wouldn't change it for the world and if i did like the butterfly effect you start changing little things then it's a whole clusterfuck domino effect and everything's all wrong fuck yeah then before you know it you've caused some kind of genocide on the on some other continent or some kind of natural disaster yeah all all the people with bloody hallucinatory persistent perceptive disorder have been slayed because they haven't got this ardent defender I am the Richard the Lionheart of the HVPD crusade or the, the the King Arthur so what happened I was going to ask you obviously the BBC piece was like really optimistic on the whole yeah. right yeah and then you've done subsequent things the psychedelic utopia is a lie I know the psychedelic industrial complex evil Oh dear! I did not choose that headline. I did not choose the the evil headline. I want want to want to make that very clear, and I'm not happy with that fucking headline. Um, but yeah, what happened? Um, well, I guess it was. Uh, I think that a lot of people in the psychedelic community, so to speak, went through the disillusionment of the corporatization. Right? Like, I actually recently read a piece of yours that was done in 2019. I think when you went to Cannabis Europa, was it? It was some, it was some, some kind of cannabis conference. We talked about that this is corporate corporatization, gentrification, etc. And something obviously very very similar happened with it, with uh, psychedelics. And there was uh, on my piece on the psychedelic utopia is a lie. It was just this utterly re- dismaying experience at the psych symposium in 2022. Oh yeah, this year it was, was fucking shit. Really? It's like I, I think like the sponsor is like Najev Capital, and it did feel like a Najev Capital event. I, that rings a bell. Tell me about Najev Capital. I don't know. It just sounds like a really, really like low vibrational word. Mm. Neg, yes. like neg, 
neg- negate negative negative yeah. vibes. Negev. Yeah. I'm sure the guys at Negev Capital are negging is their primary dating strategy. <laughs> <laughs> um. Oh, is that where you kind of? I li- is that where you you make you insult the person, but then you make compliments to kind of <laughs> balance that, and it just turns into real like weird yeah. power play. Yeah, <laughs> there was actually a guy at my school who I was friends with. Um, still friends with him, but he he went through a, a brief phase of romantic desperation in which he began reading that book, The Game, which popularized the idea of negging. Yeah, we all had fun taking the piss out of my friends' <laughs> interest in negging as a romantic stratagem. Anyway, what yes. happened? What happened at this psych symposium, the psych symposium last year? It, sound, it hasn't. Yeah. It, doesn't, it hasn't got any better. It doesn't sound like. Anyway, although luckily I don't think I was negged. That's good. So there were a few highlights, I guess. I suppose that the highlight, which I think I think I closed the piece with it, was talking to these two women from the psychedelic society of the UK, uh, and and I asked and I and I. And and I was talking to them about the corporatization of it, and I I'd heard that a very senior British psychedelic scientist had actually been crying during one of the talks because she was so dismayed at the way in which psychedelics had been oversimplified and decontextualized and despiritualized and corporatized. I was talking to them about you know what do you make of it, and she was saying well you know and it was sort of like classic capitalist realism, Mark Fisher stuff of yeah you know i suppose we don't we can't really do anything about it this is just the way the world is so you know and then she gestured out at this sea of gray these men in gray suits <laughs> and said you know how can we compete with this and it was just very dismal um and also christian angermeyer made a fairly ridiculous appearance in which he was comparing compasses psychiatrist and therapist to the shaman of ancient Egypt and I wasn't even sure that ancient Egypt had a particular shamanic tradition but anyway and also parroting some of the claims of Brian Murarescu's the immortality key and it was just and, and the broader argument of the piece was just how there's just this extraordinary alliance between psychedelic utopians and the corporate element and and it seems that the two really blur together like rob barrow who is the ceo of mindmed as well as talking about depression as a and anxiety as sort of brain disorders that they were attempting to cure with with lsd in the mindmed's trials it was his speech was capped off with because we all know psychedelics work and we know we know how we can change the world and and to me, this is like a spiritualization of standard big pharma rhetoric, spiritual utopianization, if that's a word. Um, so that was the broader argument of the piece. And it was also a couple of months after power, cover story Power Trip had come out and Rick Doblin made an appearance at the symposium in which he was given a very softball interview. So that was another another theme of it. So this, yeah, life-altering condition didn't exactly dampen your enthusiasm for psychedelics but in fact the psychedelic industry is what injected far greater skepticism yeah yeah but i think i think that the 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 two came together in a sense of it was um it was both a personal professional and a vocational 
disillusionment. It was all three of them kind of all happening at the same time because I could see how psychedelic, because I, I, because I absorbed this narrative for myself that, oh yeah, psychedelics have just, you know, had a huge positive influence on my spirituality, etc. My, you know, my, they've made me a much better person. And, but then actually looking at myself, seeing all my bad habits that be maintained and how, much of the legacy of my psychedelic use had been to just make me really, really, really kind of passionate, if not obsessed with psychedelics. I, I was like, so what have actually been the fruits here? And I'd also had this acid trip in September 2021 that had just been a com- complete clusterfuck. Like it was a good trip during it, but it caused a manic episode and then several months of depression. Wow. So there was that of like, oh, okay maybe this is actually pretty powerful stuff. And then reflecting on my second year of uni when I was doing a lot of psychedelics and realizing like just how emotionally and mentally unstable I was when I was taking psychedelics regularly and just really revising my belief I'd held for years, almost like a religious belief that psychedelics had like changed my life and realizing that it wasn't actually, I'm not even sure it was true. So I lost the the vocation really around psychedelics and then it was just like like an escalating disillusionment with them honestly i know humans may or may not fundamentally want to tamper on with their consciousness on a day-to-day basis but sobriety like total sobriety is actually quite good Mm. i do experience it from time to time zero sugar zero caffeine there's a real, real clarity that, that comes to mm. mind. Obviously, it's not for everyone. And indeed, today I had a decaf coffee, several of these um, caramel drinks and a lemon Ooh. meringue. So it's not like I'm this kind of <laughs> monk-like figure. But yeah, no one's talking about absolute sobriety, are they? That's mm. one. I mean, I mean, that's actually a gap in the market. We, should, we could make a pill. We could make the sobriety pill. Yeah, I'm not totally sober. I think I've um, because I do still like a drink, and I think I've realised that alcohol, because there's like this tendency in drug using communities to like shit on alcohol. Like you, you I see on Reddit all the time of oh, I you know I I I use coke. I even and occasionally use heroin. Oh, but I hate alcohol. Hate alcohol. Oh, exit or Y is safer than alcohol. I think alcohol. Obviously, alcoholism is awful, and as is cirrhosis and premature death and addiction. But I do think it's uh, almost underrated, honestly, at this point. Weirdly, uh, in in the yes, I, I I just think it's so it's so reliable. You know, I have a drink. You know, makes me kind of relaxed. Whereas if I if I even have two puffs on a joint, I go insane. And if I take a tab of acid, I have months of depression. So I don't really mind having a beer now and then. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, for me, I've had a journey with alcohol. Definitely used to drink a lot too much Yeah, on the weekends. And yeah, got to a stage after a festival in 2018 where I was just needing help. Partly, yeah. partly because of drug use as well. But I did drink a lot that weekend. And yeah, then it triggered this kind of searching for the right diet, the right drug or alcohol combination on a night out. Yeah. For instance, you know, I was doing cocaine mixed with everything else on a night out, which I realize now is stupid. If you're listening to this, if you're going to do cocaine, 
just do cocaine basically and you know maybe a little bit of ket but don't mix just <laughs> never mix cocaine with mdma it is literally so contraindicatory and and it is also with most other things including ket actually but it's just doesn't doesn't actually seem that bad but anyway i haven't yeah. I haven't touched cocaine in in many years now mm. and i was trying to find the right way to f- yeah to enjoy just health and presence and not have acid reflux and not have fucking such a busy mind and mm. yeah i didn't drink for about a year and a half at one point and then i kind of gradually reintroduced it now and then and then went for a bit of a phase of drinking again and getting drunk occasionally and now i drink very rarely maybe like once every three or four weeks mm. and like two weeks ago i had this kind of homemade elderflower champagne if you like just before bed that a friend had had two glasses maybe it was the sugar maybe it was the alcohol but my dad who sadly died last year as a result of a lifetime of drinking god rest oh, his soul fuck, man i'm sorry to hear that punched me in the face in my dream oh my god that's quite symbolic it has to be surely and i haven't, yeah. I, haven't I haven't drunk since since that like two weeks ago yeah it's it's, it's bizarre when you get those sort of just unequivocal signals in a dream isn't it it's very strange that yeah. one that one does feel really significant and pretty easy to keep to be honest yeah yeah i've heard people say that that, that the discomfort we in the west have had for so many years around mystical experience symbolic experience psychedelic experience is like part of it is that we just don't take dreams seriously like it's that that's a sense of the same pathology of you know only hyper rational sober wakeful consciousness but also i think that maybe that our, our lack of taking dreams seriously is partly as much a cause as a symptom because you know we all dream every day and we're all choosing not to engage with it mm-hmm. whereas dreams are very weird very trippy i mean i see on like uh I remember, I remember going on reddit a while ago and looking up like jungian dream analysis and there are all these people on like uh, the the skeptic subreddit like talking about dream analysis as if it was like complete bullshit how could it possibly dreams are crazy symbolic and i was like i was hearing these like internet atheist skeptic types saying no dreams are dreams are literally just random phenomena there's no meaning yeah. in dreams it's like well, obviously they fucking are well they don't want you to dream do they they want you to stay in your place do your job clock in clock out and don't make a fuss about it yeah the 16 year olds on the skeptic subreddit are the man they are the boss and you've heard about lucid dreaming, like the practice where people yes. are conscious during their dreams and can actually act with some degree of agency and have these, yeah, really, really trippy and reportedly healing experiences. I only ever managed to achieve lucidness or lucidity once, and that was when I was at uni and I was 19. And as soon as I achieved some degree of self-awareness i thought okay i, I i'm gonna have sex with jessica alba <laughs> jessica a bit a bit, a bit, a bit vintage at that point even uh jessica alba her, her fame probably peaked in about 2007 um but then all but because my lucidity was insufficiently trained 
all I was able to conjure was not Jessica Alba, but Blackbeard, the pirate. He just emerged out of nowhere. And then we that's had probably some... you, That's probably what you deserve for objectifying this poor woman. It is. I'm honestly, I feel bad. And then me and Blackbeard had some quite sad, quite morose, unfeeling missionary sex. And oh, who who was the top? Who was the bottom? I I, I was the top. <laughs> and uh, missionary. And I woke up quite intimate. We were looking into each other's eyes with. We weren't particularly emoting, from my recollection, just blank expressions. <laughs> Probably both of us wanting to this to end as soon as possible. And and did it, or or does HPPD also come with like kind of sex god? Level level powers, uh, it, it, a lot of performance enhancing. Yeah, fortunately or unfortunately, I I was spared of HPPD symptoms in the lucid state. I, I if I just remember Blackbeard's Blackbeard, really in his hat. I don't remember any particular psychedelic visual adornments on the beard or the hat. Yeah, it, it, was it was it was it itch, itchy itchy to your supple chest? I don't remember particular tactile effects. Really, I just remembered the feeling of of, of sadness, uh, of forlorn quality to the experience. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Well, we, what, what did Freud say? That dreams are like repressed desires. I guess. Maybe I like, maybe I'm secretly into bears in the sort of Pirates. gay. Maybe, I mean, is maybe there. You a... you, maybe, maybe you've got like a thing about getting told to walk the plank. <laughs> it's possible. It's possible. Um, I'm going to have to go shortly because I'm going to Nando's. I got a voucher as a gift and I'm going to use that shit. What are you going to go for? The chicken? Well, which sauce? One, That's it? the question. Lemon and, are you a lemon and herb or are you a peri, peri, peri? I just don't know. It's too difficult to choose. I'm going to have to just follow my intuition. I'm going to have to follow my, my will, my true North Star as I enter that brunch, <laughs> as I sit down on that table. I'll know which way I'm being called. But do you generally like spicy food, or or do you prefer not really more herby? Um, I like I like a bit of spice. It's just I think it's some. I think that my 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 palate has has a variable spice tolerance. So one day, you know, I'll be basically. I was going to say shoveling down a file, but that's just not true. Some days I'll enjoy spice, and other days I'll be a lemon and herb man. Difficult to predict. Well, yeah, look. Yeah, really, really appreciate you coming on today, Ed. And I know no I, was a bit, I was a bit tongue-in-cheek at times, but it was, it was it was mostly just to get keep the conversation going rather than just expressing, yeah, my, like, solidarity with the stuff that you've gone through. But, yeah, it's obviously, oh, obviously really, really intense stuff and, yeah, amazing and brave of you to, like, come out and say what you've said not not today like previ- previously and yeah i'm sure it's helped a lot of people oh thank you yeah i i enjoyed this uh alternative approach to podcasts because all my podcasts before have been like i because I, I tend to enter enter a sort of like podcast consciousness where i begin speaking as if i'm writing an a-level psychology essay uh but yeah it was good to exercise a bit of my relatively neglected shit chatting faculties <laughs>